The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 260 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is success. Depths of Depression, Success. Depression, sometimes called major depression or clinical depression, is a serious illness that harms how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. It's not the same as normal sadness because it's persistent and it seriously interferes with daily life. It involves as many as 14 of every 100 North American families, which makes it the most important mental illness burden on persons and their families. It has many causes, including work-related stress. It's associated with various other um, mental illnesses, and sometimes it has no apparent cause. It's treated with various antidepressant medications and psychotherapy. If it's untreated, it can last for weeks, months, or years. And if it's not properly treated, it can harm physical health. And it's one of the most important risks for suicide, all of which is why our topic today, success, depths of depression, success, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Rebecca De Filippo. Rebecca founded a pre-press business in 1986, which she successfully operated for over 12 years. Then in 1998... Her business was awarded a Business Excellence Award. In 2001, she was hospitalized with clinical depression and struggled with a long battle back to full recovery. Her devastating experience led to the creation of Moods magazine. That's her magazine. A consumer publication covering various aspects of mental illness with an emphasis on prevention. She, Rebecca, openly discusses her long road to recovery, her many losses, the many causes of depression, and how she was affected as a business owner, employee, mother, and spouse. She's been a member of several mental health-related boards and has been awarded numerous awards for her work with her magazine. She's also an artist who is currently working on a series of paintings which depict the many emotions of mental illness in an effort to help others understand this insidious disease. So, welcome to the show, Rebecca. Well, thank you for having me. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life prior to the onset of the depression. My life prior to depression was amazing. I think that um, everything went so well for me. Everything was moving forward. Um, 
I had a wonderful husband. We had been married for over 12 years. We had a beautiful daughter. She was healthy. There were no problems. We were all healthy. And um, I had married into an Italian family, Gordon. And you may know that a lot of Italian families have a lot of functions. So we were really busy with the family a lot. We were very close. Um, we had really, really strong ties. Um, we just we were busy all the time, had lots of energy. We were doing lots of things. We had a gorgeous home with a pool. Um, we did a lot of entertaining. My daughter's friends would come over to the house all the time, and they'd swim in the pool, and they'd have sleepovers. And, you know, as adults, we'd just sit around the pool watching them have fun. I mean, life was really, really good. And at that time, uh, I had also started my film imaging business, and it had taken off, and it was doing really, really well to the point that I actually asked my husband to quit his job and come and work with me. So, you know, we had pretty much everything we needed we had, um, financially, we were well off. We had nice cars, nice clothes. We ate out often. We went to the movies. Um, there were no major concerns in our life. And myself, I, I loved the work I did. I loved the challenge of this fast-paced industry that I was in. I mean, we had 16 employees. Um, the industry was evolving all the time, so you had to keep up with it. You had to be flexible. I had to be open-minded, and I had to be really fast on my feet, and I loved that because I liked things moving fast. And I think I, I really thrived on the intensity of dealing with such a demanding client base that we had and um, people that needed things instantaneously. Like everything in this industry was needed yesterday. And, and I loved that challenge of meeting those tight deadlines. The hours were long. It was exhausting. But, oh, man, it was so tremendously rewarding. I just, I, I, I just loved it so much. And as you mentioned, I had, um, we had won the Business Excellence Award in 1998. And uh, I think I was feeling really proud, um, really good about my life, and really, really good about myself. So the next question then is, please tell us about what it was that, or the things that were involved in triggering or leading you into your depression. Rebecca? Yeah, okay, that was, um, that was a really long process, Gordon. Um, I was actually depressed for a number of years and didn't know it because I didn't know what depression was. I think it first started after my, my husband had a fall. And the fall resulted in a, a head injury that caused some severe brain damage. And the injury left him having seizures, and he had an unpredictable personality change that would cause him to sometimes become really angry with no, no notice. And he had a loss of hearing in one ear. He became legally blind, so he couldn't work. He couldn't drive. Um, he couldn't read. He couldn't watch movies. I mean, he couldn't do much of anything anymore. And... Over the next seven years after that fall, we had a whole series of hospitalizations for other things as well. So he had, um, he had two heart attacks, a quadruple bypass, and then he got cancer, and that was lymphoma, and he went for radiation for uh, almost five weeks, went into remission, then he had kidney failure, and then he got a muscular myopathy that caused him to fall. His legs would give out without any warning. 
his blood sugars became erratic, and a number of times I ended up having to call for an ambulance to come and revive him because he was almost comatose, and I couldn't pull him out of it by giving him juice or anything. Uh, he, he had been diabetic since he was age 13. And every time he went to the hospital, um, he was there for probably about a two-week visit um, in the uh, emergency and the intensive care because they couldn't easily balance back his chemistry in his system. It had been so out of whack. Um, and when I look back at it now, I think to myself, like, I don't know how I coped with everything that was going on. Because between all this, I mean, I was running the business, running the household, um, taking Carlo to, like, all kinds of different specialist appointments, taking my daughter to ballet, piano, swimming, you know, helping her with her homework, doing the shopping, the cooking. I mean, everything was on my shoulders all of a sudden. And I think as time passed, I gradually got more and more depressed. But I just thought I was tired. I didn't realize that I was ill. And then I think as time passed on even more, I started having problems making decisions. My mind wasn't functioning properly. And it was around that time that I made one of the, the biggest, most regretful decisions of my life, and, and that was to separate from my husband. And the reason for that was that he had these, as I said, these uh, change of personalities where he would get a little bit violent, and they had become more frequent, and he became extremely violent one night and had my daughter crying, and he had me frightened, and I guess through all of the stress I'd been through for the, those seven years, I just, I just couldn't deal with it. And um, I sought some help out, and I was advised to have him removed from our home for safety. Big mistake. Never make a major decision when you're, when you're depressed because your brain doesn't function properly, and I have never been forgiven by his family for me doing that, making that decision. And the worst thing is that shortly after that, he passed away. And I crashed, and I became um, just severely depressed and suicidal. So now, that, that's kind of what led up to everything. Right. Now, third question. Please <laughs> tell us about your success after the depression. Tell us that story. Rebecca. Well, you know, I learned an awful lot about depression. Um, when I went to the hospital, I found that... Uh, there were, there were a lot of patients there that had gone through something similar as me. I mean, I had been going through depression that was getting worse and worse over a seven-year period, but there were people there that had been going through it for 10 years or more and didn't know that they were depressed because they knew nothing about depression. It, it's just, it's a behavioral illness, you know? The symptoms aren't like a broken arm or a broken leg. So when I went to the hospital, I was so ill that I was there for almost 11 months as an outpatient. And I saw people like myself go in, come out, go back into the hospital, get discharged, come back in again. And I saw people do that up to three times. And when you talk to them, they would say, well, you know, when I went home, nobody supported me. Nobody believed I was sick. People would say things to me like, oh, just pull up your socks, you know, or, oh, you're just faking it. You're not really sick or you're just lazy and you don't want to go back to work. And those sort of comments and that lack of support just made people get more ill, and they had to come back to the hospital. So when I got better finally, um, I saw this revolving door, and I said, you know, somebody needs to educate the people out there. 
and nobody wanted to hire me because I had had my own business for over 12 years. It had been successful, and they thought, you know, oh, she's never going to stay and work with us. She's going to go and start something again. So I decided, you know, if I did it once, I started a business from scratch before, I can do it again, and um, I started the magazine. And you would not believe how many people said, oh, no, Rebecca, you don't want to do that. Nobody is going to buy a magazine that talks about mental illness. Well, (laughs) I was pretty amazed at how many people actually were anxious to get this magazine in their hands. I think I started out with about 2,500 printed copies, and I'm now in my 10th year with the magazine, and we have a readership of over 500,000 between our, our printed copies on the newsstands, our subscriptions, and the digital version on our website. And um, I get people calling me all the time and sending letters and emails and saying, thank you so much. I read this article, or I read your editorial, or I learned about this uh, new research by reading your magazine, and it helped me or it helped me to help my daughter, you know? And, um, That's right. And for me, it was just so therapeutic, and um, it's been extremely gratifying for me. So, yeah, there's a need, a big need for it out there. Now, that's the story, and that's the topic, and that's what we're exploring in this, in this episode of Family Caregivers Unite. Now, this is the time when we have to pay the rent, so we take a short break. And I'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Etherley, and my guest is Rebecca De Filippo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray with his co-host Linda Crater and other prestigious co-hosts as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back 
to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rebecca De Filippo. Our topic is success, depths of depression, success. Uh, Rebecca, let's now talk about the challenges you encountered during the depression. And the first question about challenges is this one. Please could you sort of highlight or describe the most challenging of the challenges you experienced emotionally and with your moods? Rebecca? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big one because a big part of depression is emotion and mood. <laughs> um, I had a lot of emotional challenges. Um, first of all, I was so tired and overwhelmed all the time that I couldn't function very well. My, my self-esteem had really plummeted because I couldn't function well, and it got to a point where I just didn't believe in myself anymore. And because of all this, I started to feel frustrated and um, really highly irritable and impatient. And to be honest with you, I had this really myopic view of everything. I, I was no longer the type of person who had an open view on things. It was a very closed view, and that kind of um, hinders you. So... I think that, you know, when, when I saw people and they asked how I was, I would smile, this huge smile, and I'd always put on this mask and say, oh, I'm great, I'm feeling great, you know, because I was brought up to not show those emotional feelings when they're negative. But underneath, I was struggling so much, Gordon. I mean, I was having a hard time just getting up out of bed, let alone talking to people and, and dealing with how people might react to me. And a big part of it also was that I felt really, really alone, really rejected. I felt like a huge, huge failure at work because I couldn't function well. And I saw the difference in how I was before, but I didn't know why that was happening because I still didn't know that I had depression. And sometimes, you know, I would walk up to someone and I would have a new outfit on and they wouldn't say, oh, I like your new outfit. And I would walk away and I'd cry. I go, they didn't like my outfit, but they didn't say they liked it or they didn't like it, but for some reason, my emotions took it as, nope, they didn't say anything, so they don't like it, so that's a bad thing, so I would cry, and it made absolutely no sense, right? And, you know, if, um, if someone got angry at me or um, didn't smile at me, then I got upset, and I would feel bad inside that I had done something wrong, even though I hadn't, if I made a mistake, I would, like, beat myself up about it, you know, and, and think to myself, oh, I'm so terrible, I made that mistake, and, and it would haunt me all day, and, and my mood would be very low, and I would feel very crummy about myself. And here's an example of something even really simple that happened to me once. Um, I, I got pulled over by a police officer because I was speeding, and, and I wasn't paying attention, I was kind of daydreaming, and that tends to happen a lot when you have depression. And uh, as soon as he pulled me over, I knew I had been speeding, and I pulled down my window, and he asked for my license, and I bawled my eyes out. I cried until he left. I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't stop the crying. But it was for something so unimportant. It was a speeding ticket for crying out loud. You know, it was nothing major. Um, but, yeah, I, I acted a lot on my emotions without thinking about what I was doing. They kind of took over me and made me act in ways that weren't the normal way of thinking for me. And, now, and when talk, I, hmm? I was just going to say, now, talking of actions, I'd like to go to the next question, because 
I want you to explain to us the most challenging of the challenges that you experienced in your actions and activities. Please talk about those. Um, yeah, well, I, there, there were actually a, a lot of things that I found I couldn't do well because my brain wasn't working well. And, you know, a, a lot of my actions were, um, you know, say I couldn't find my keys because I, I couldn't remember where I put my keys 10 minutes ago. And then I would get angry at people around me because my keys went missing. Um, someone would tell me something five seconds ago, and I couldn't remember what they told me. And then I would get angry at somebody. Like there was this real deep anger inside of me that caused me to react in un, un, um, inappropriate, inappropriate ways. Um, it was like my brain was half asleep, Gordon. And um, I'll tell you that there's, there's a reason for this being uh, I did a little bit of research because I was concerned about the way I was acting, and I discovered by looking up a set of PET scans that were done that display the blood flow in the brain that a healthy brain has blood flow everywhere in the brain, but a depressed brain has a good portion of the brain shut down where there's no blood flow. And because those areas are shut down, it affects your mood and it affects your reactions because you're not controlling them properly anymore. So um, that kind of helped me to better understand what I was doing and helped me deal with things later on as I got a little better. But, you know, I did things, silly things like I couldn't organize myself. I would be late for meetings. I would miss appointments. I would book too many appointments. Um, I, I couldn't manage my time at all. I couldn't multitask anymore. Um, and I, I hated being around people. Um, I used to be, people called me 9-0 because I used to be really fast going and had a big smile and I was always smiling at people. And now when I came to work at this time, I would make a beeline past reception, past the clients, past my staff and go right into my office and hide because I didn't want anyone to have to talk to me because I knew that I was going to do something wrong and that I would react in a way that I wouldn't, you know, that they wouldn't appreciate and that I knew was wrong. So, so I did that, and I would, I would sit in my office and stare at walls and move things around on my computer and not go out and meet the clients anymore. Um, I just wouldn't make any, any decisions because I didn't want to be put in a position where I had to make a decision because I knew I couldn't do it, but I didn't know why. And then when these things happened, when I made these silly decisions, I felt stupid and I felt inconsiderate to people because I would do things like interrupt them when they were talking because I couldn't keep my thoughts straight because my thoughts would start racing and I would need to say something before I would forget it and then I would feel bad because I had interrupted them and things just kind of snowballed and I started to feel worse and worse. And um, there were instances where I actually went into meetings for work and I would listen to someone talk and they would say something and my brain would sort of stop on that one comment they made and they would carry on the conversation for the next 10 minutes, but I was still back on that comment they made. And at the end of the meeting, when I went to go back to the office, I was missing half the information, but I was too afraid to say that, you know what, I was daydreaming and I missed what you were saying. So I, I acted in a really, um, I'm not going to say unprofessional, but I, I wasn't definitely in, in a good way that I, could, um, that I could work well. Now, you've already said some of the things that you experienced, some of the challenges. 
regarding attitudes and reactions to other people. But please stay, say more about those challenges, the way in which um, you felt about other people, your attitudes to them, and the reactions to them as people. Rebecca? Okay. Um, I think my biggest challenge was what I thought people thought of me. There was this big problem with what they think of me. I thought that everyone disliked me. I thought that I was a big failure. I thought people were laughing at me and talking about me behind my back, um, almost to a stage of being paranoid. And this would make me angry. So I found myself getting upset at people and yelling easily at staff. Um, I yelled at my daughter and my husband for, for nothing. Like I just was like I was picking fights because I, I, maybe I had this pent-up anger that I needed to get out. And then I also felt like I just could not trust anyone. I didn't care about my staff anymore. I didn't care about work anymore. I lost interest in my company. Um, and, and I just wanted out. I didn't want to work anymore. Um, I didn't want to work with anyone. I didn't want to be around anyone. Um, eventually, it got to a point where I ended up offloading my company to a competitor so that I could just get out of there and not do it anymore and, and rest and try to regroup, regroup because I knew I wasn't, something was wrong, but I didn't know what. Um, but then after that, I had to take on another job, um, and I found that in that new job, I was a, with a, a whole new set of people, and I became really over-assertive and irritable, and really utterly impatient with people. And this wasn't me, Gordon. I, I was not that type of person. Um, I found myself starting to dislike people for no reason, and I had always liked people. And I, I started complaining about silly things, you know, that had no reason to have a complaint about. And I was frustrated and impatient and I don't know. I think I mentioned before I had this myopic view of everything, and um, I I just had bad judgment. Everything I did, everything I thought about was clouded, and you know I I just thought everyone around me was against me. So you know I began to not even trust my own judgment at one point. Did you get to the stage that you felt that people were? understanding how you were, noticing your reactions to them and reacting back to you in a kind of negative way. Was that a line of reasoning that you actually considered or experienced? Um, I don't think anybody understood what was going on with me. Um, my workplace, um, the first place, my, the company that I owned, knew all about my husband and his illness because for a period of time I had to bring him into work because he couldn't be left on his own because his blood sugars would get low. And they knew there were issues there, but nobody ever thought, well, how's Rebecca dealing with it? Um, maybe there's something wrong with her the way she's acting. I think they just all felt that I was stressed and burnt out from work and tired, but didn't think there was anything that they could do for me to help me. You know, I don't think that ever crossed anyone's mind. And at the time that you were going through all of this, uh, you mentioned this before, there was that sense of struggle and you're not getting the kind of advice and help that was helpful. I mean, for example, um, you know, sometimes people say to people who are depressed, well, come on, cheer up, pull up your socks, it's not that bad. Were you putting up with that kind of thing throughout all of this? 
Um, to be honest with you, nobody ever said that to me. Um, I put on such a good front, even though people knew things were wrong with me. Um, I never complained in front of staff. Um, I complained when I went to the other job that I had where I was no, no longer a boss. But where I worked, people never noticed it. I, I hid it really well. So, I mean, I regret that because had I been, um, I think if I had shown my feelings more instead of holding them in as much as I did, um, that people would have recognized more what was wrong with me. That's a very important message. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're going to take the break um, because it's that time, the tyranny of time. We'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Rebecca De Filippo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rebecca DeFilippo. Our topic is success, depths of depression, success. Now let's Rebecca, talk about the help needed to overcome the challenges created by depression so that success can be achieved. So, Rebecca, first off, what help is needed to overcome the most challenging of the challenges you experience emotionally and with your moods? And where is this help to be found? Where did you find it? Where can other people find it? Rebecca. 
Okay, I, I think that uh, the most challenging thing for me, and I'm assuming that this is for most other people too, is trying to understand and control your mood when your brain is not capable of controlling it. Um, that was something that caused a lot of upset and, and brought me down and made me more ill. Um, it, it made me feel weak. I didn't know how to gain back the strength that I, didn't, that I used to have. But while I was at the hospital, they had group therapy there every morning. And I have to tell you that this, this group therapy was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, having people there that are your peers, that have been there, that understand what you're going through, that recognize what's going on, they helped me to realize that I was not alone, that I was not a bad person, that I was not, um, you know, that I was, that I was just not a weak person, that it was an illness that I had and that I could get better. And having their support really helped me so much. Um, the people in the group were so understanding and, and so compassionate because, I mean, they knew that, that I was experiencing similar feelings and emotions that they had been through. And some of the people in the group, like myself, were new and had only started. And others in the group had already been there for maybe a month, six weeks. So they were, you could see these people that had moved along and they were at a different stage than you were. And it was really clear because those people were smiling once in a while. And in my first couple of days in the group, all I did was cry. I couldn't talk. I couldn't share with anyone. But being there every day, seeing them, having the same people there, um, helped build me the confidence that I needed to share with them. And when I got that off my chest and I shared and I told them things that happened to me, I felt validated. And validation is something that's really important to a person who's struggling with depression because people who haven't been there have a difficult time understanding what it is you're going through and often don't say, um, I don't know what you're going through, but I validate that you actually are feeling that way. And, and people need to hear that. Um, Medication also actually played a really big role in helping to stabilize my mood. But the medication took around six to eight weeks before I saw any kind of a difference. So as I got better, um, I, I also started to incorporate a self-esteem course that they offered there with a group. And that self-esteem course helped me to better understand how to deal with various situations in my life. Um, how to be able to say no when I really didn't want to do something without feeling guilty, um, how not to feel bad about doing something for someone, um, because I always used to do so much for others and never wanted to do things for myself. I was one of those caretakers, you know. And, and I think that I learned a lot about myself through this, and I learned a lot about how to take care of myself so I could take care of my daughter. And... When I did these things, when I learned these things, when I started to make changes in my life and who I was and how I acted, I started to actually feel better about myself, and in turn, that helped my mood. So right. I, I think at the hospital, we were taught about, you know, not only the importance of helping yourself in, in that sense, but also the importance of eating properly, um, exercise to get those endorphins going to help feed the brain, um, you know, there were just so many things that they educated us about, and step by step, I started to implement these things into my life, and that's what helped me to get better, and I think that those things, you know, 
overall helps others to get better. Right. Now, it's basically the same question. That's the help that's needed to overcome the most challenging of the challenges that you experience in your actions and activities and where that help comes from. Rebecca? Um, well, a lot of the help I got, as I said, was from the program at the hospital. But, you know, that, that program that they had has now been discontinued, and a lot of other hospitals have dis, dis, um, uh, they've discontinued these sort of programs because they feel that their job is more just to get people stable and then put them out into to the community where they can get help. So a lot of people are finding they don't get what I had. They have to go out and seek these things at separate places. So there are support groups in the community where people can go um, and, and, you know, get those same sort of support groups that I had at the hospital. Um, and, and let me just emphasize again that support group therapy is so beneficial to people. And even for people that are afraid to speak and tell their story in front of someone else, once you speak out, you find it changes your life. Um, there's also support through family doctors, and some of the, the services offered there are good. But I have to say that not all of the family physicians out there are trained really well in the area of mental health, so there might be limitations there. There's also some really good help, um, self-help books. There's one that I did. Um, it was a CBT workbook that I worked through, and it really helps you to look at the way you respond to things and the way you think about things when you hear them and to assess whether what you're thinking is actually true, whether it's real or whether it's just the way you're interpreting it. And it helps you to deal differently with situations than you did before. Um, I, I think also people forcing themselves to get out of the house, to not sit alone, to try to be social, to maybe join a gym or to go for a run, to go to a, an art gallery or go to a cooking class. Um, those sort of things helped me a lot, um, and that's something that anyone can do. They don't need to necessarily belong to a club. Volunteering was a big help to me. Um, I sat on the board of one of the Mood Disorders Associations for four years, and I helped so many people through the work that I did there, and that just made me feel so good. It made me feel really important, like I was contributing to my um, community, and, and, and it helped me feel confident because I was able to do things, and I was successful. Little successful steps really helped to bring you back up, you know? And another big thing for me was painting. I hadn't painted for years, and after I got better from my depression... I picked up my paintbrushes and I started painting again. And I actually found it was like a form of meditation. So I would get so involved in doing a painting that four or five hours would pass by. And during that time, I wasn't stressing about finances. I wasn't stressing about work that had to be done. I, you know, that was my time for my mind to just be blank. And it was really, really helpful. And I still, I still paint a lot for that reason. And Another thing that I'd like to talk about is research. Doing research on um, the illness, the mood disorder that, that one has is really important because as you go out there and read, you can go into your doctor and ask about certain treatments that maybe you haven't tried if something else hasn't worked for you. And I have to emphasize if something hasn't worked for you, keep trying because everybody's different. 
medications don't work the same on everyone. Sometimes you don't need medication. Sometimes you just need some sort of talk therapy. Sometimes you need both. Sometimes it's a whole combination of things. But if you keep trying different things, eventually someone will find a way to get better. Um, now, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you to clarify one thing. Mm-hmm. You use the word research. That tends to mean researchers and doctors and scientists. Mm, no. Are you, uh, no. What no. are you talking about? I'm talking about just do some research on the Internet and bring that information to somebody who's credible that can tell you whether or not that stuff is, is credible information. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of good sites by reputable organizations that are nonprofits that you can depend on. You know, like the, in, in Canada, there's the Canadian Association of, of Mental Health. And, um, you know, in the U.S., there's, there's NIMI, the National Institute for Mental Health. I mean, there's all kinds of them that have information that is good, solid information that just helps you to, to educate yourself about what some of the options are if you happen to have a doctor who hasn't given you more than one option, don't sit still, is what I'm saying, and let all, all, the, um, uh, all the solutions come to you because they don't always, and they probably won't always. You need to go and find out what is needed for you, for your, your personality, for your situation that you live in. Um, you know, just don't sit around. Try to help yourself as much as you can if you, if you get to a, a point where you're well enough to do that. Become your own researcher. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, I want to ask you another sort of technical point. Uh, there's a lot, often the word psychotherapy is used. Mm-hmm. Is that an accurate description of the kind of support that you found it found so helpful, you know, like the support groups and so on, or is it something different? Rebecca? Um, my understanding of psychotherapy is that a psychologist works with you, and that is often, in my understanding, a long-term form of therapy where you go through um, maybe your, your past and um, a long history of things. It's a long, long, slow process. There's other therapy that you can have through um, people like uh, social workers or um, talk therapists who offer things that are um, deal with the situation that you're in now and here's some tools to help you with. So, for instance, um, cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness, um, things like that will give you a set of tools to help you start um, dealing with the situation you're in and help you on a better path immediately. But you may also need some long-term therapy as well. There's, there's lots of different types of therapy out there. And that brings you back to your point that you become your own researcher and you look around and you find out things for yourself. And that seems to me a very profoundly important message. And, now, and reading, reading people's stories too, Gordon. Um, I mean, I've done stories in Moods magazines of um, one of the celebrities actually went for hypnotherapy and that helped with her depression. Very good. Now, I'm going to have to stop you there because, once again, it's the tyranny of time, but we will. We are coming back. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Anthony, and my guest is Rebecca Filippo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, Jr., President and CEO of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life, goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rebecca De Filippo. Our topic is success, depths of depression, success. Um, Rebecca, now I want to talk about um, things you would like to do and see done to help people and their families with the challenges of depression. But first, I'd like to go back to something else that um, uh, I would like to ask you about, which is the kind of help that's needed uh, dealing with for people with depression to um, deal with challenges of interaction with other people. Yeah, I think that's that's an important thing to talk about, and it's not something long to talk about. But uh, one of the things that I really learned that was important to me through this program at the hospital was the importance of understanding when a relationship is detrimental to you and how to weed people out of your life who bring negativity into your life instead of positivity. People that you associate with that do nothing but bring you down. Those people have to be uh, weeded out and taken out of your life because you'll never move ahead and become well if you're constantly being brought down by people. They, it's always said that especially two people that are depressed should, should really never get together as a couple when they're both depressed if they're meeting for the first time because one might get better and the other won't and the one that doesn't is going to bring down the other. So it's important to choose your relationships, choose your friends, and, you know, listen carefully to the source when someone is saying something negative and and use your own judgment. Very good message, that. Uh Now, 
I'm now going to put the spotlight on you personally in a different way. What more would you like to do through your work as publisher of Moods magazine um, to help people and their families with the challenges of depression? What, what would you what would you like to do, Rebecca? Well, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I've set up a section on our website that is um, it's a free service to anyone and everyone who wants to share a service that they offer or they want to make people aware of events that are going on or educational events, um, a place where people can get resources. So I want to build that more so that we have one major platform where everyone and anyone in North America can list something at no cost and um, be able to make their services available to those who need it. It's up and running. It's called Mental Health Central, and I'd just like to see that expand more so that nobody is left in a situation where they can't get help, whether it's something that's paid for or whether it's a nonprofit. You know, the more options that are out there for people, the more books available, the more um, events available, you know, the better. Right. So that's, that's one of my big major projects. Excellent. Now, yeah. what more would you like to see done by healthcare? Systems, social systems, and community organizations. Rebecca? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I would love to see more money put into the mental health side of healthcare. I think that there's mental health is the key to everything. If you don't have mental health, you don't have anything. Mental health leads to other illnesses such as heart disease. And, and when someone has another illness like diabetes or they've got um, uh, multiple sclerosis, almost 90% of the time um, mental health is mental illness is present with it. So we need to put more money into helping that side of things because no matter what your illness, mental illness is a big part of it. And in order to do that, I think we need more training in the emergency rooms where people come into the hospital and they need help and people in there are not qualified and knowledgeable about mental health to be able to help someone who's in some sort of a, um, a situation where they need something immediately. I think there needs to be more training with the family doctors and that maybe this needs to be placed um, as a part of their um, residency or their, their training. Um, I think there needs to be more government subsidizing of medications that people can't afford because when they're not on their meds, they're not well, and they end up costing the government and the society more money. Um, I think that talk therapy should be something that should be covered by government so that people can get the help before they get so sick that they need to be on medication and they need to be on some sort of social service and, and, and support from the government. Um, I also think there needs to be more programs offering better education in the schools at the early age and in the workplace so that people can catch, notice, understand an illness before they get so sick that they need to be treated. Um, and um, I think that there has to be support for those who have maybe gotten ill and are in the hospital. They're coming out of the hospital and they need to get uh, integrated back into the community, but they aren't well enough to do it on their own, and they need someone to handhold them, someone to bring them to that next level to help them get well enough so that they can go out there on their own and do something. 
Now, you mentioned in a previous segment uh, that the kind, some of the programs anyway, that um, sport group type programs that you found so beneficial were actually being pulled out of hospitals or closed yeah. down. Yeah. Have you anything you'd like to say politically about that one, Rebecca? It's wrong. It's wrong. And it's wrong. Um, I don't. I think it is um, the job of the hospital to not just stabilize, but to actually help people get better. And I don't think that they should do that. And I think there should be some discussion about bringing that back into the hospital, because without that, um, people aren't. If people aren't well, they shouldn't be put back into the community. Because mental people with mental illness do have a lot of anxiety often, and they don't have the strength and the courage and often the financial means to get themselves somewhere else, the transportation to go somewhere, um, and the courage to do it. Rebecca, your very last question for me mm-hmm. is this, is what is your message for people and their families who are just starting out on their journey with depression? What do you say to them, Rebecca? I say that depression can be treated successfully. I'm not sure of the exact statistic, but I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 80% of people, if treated early, can have a full recovery. I think it's very important for people to um, tell their family doctor or whatever doctor they go into everything about how they feel, about their actions, things they do, their behaviors, because those things tell the doctors um, what it is that might be wrong with them and it helps them diagnose. So I was always afraid to talk about how I felt bad or how I felt I would cry easy, but those are important things to tell your doctor. So that I want to emphasize, as well as I want people to know that there is often more than one illness that can be present along with depression or anxiety or bipolar. Um, People can have multiple illnesses, and if only one of them is treated, the other one is not going to get better, and it's going to pull you away from helping that other one that you're originally being treated for to, to work to get well. So you have to make sure that you tell your doctor everything and that it's important for the family doctors to know how to check on all of these possible illnesses that could be running hand in hand. I also want to tell people to not be afraid to ask for alternative treatments if your treatment isn't working. Um, Ask for all your options. You have to look out for yourself and advocate, so you have to ask the questions. Know as much as you can and ask, ask, ask. I also want to say, be patient. When you start taking medication, when you start taking talk therapy, these recoveries are a process. They're not an easy fix. It's not going to change tomorrow or next week. It could be a month or two or three before you start to see something different. So depression and other mental illnesses are different for every single person. We all have different body chemistry. We all come from a different environment, a different home environment. Our internal um, thought processes and bringing up are different. Our work situations are different. Our triggers are all different. So don't think that because you tried this medication and it didn't work for you or you tried this alternative and it didn't work for you that nothing else will work because there is something out there for everyone that that you know, if you get treatment early enough, will likely help you with a full recovery. That's right. So that I get 
I distill what you just said back into a single word, is, which is hope. That is to say, your experience is a story of hope yes. that's shareable with other people. Your advice to them to be their own researchers, their advice to them to understand what's happening to them, be patient, but in the confidence that things will improve, can improve, and can be treated. So those are very powerful messages in what is otherwise sometimes represented in a rather gloomy way. So, Rebecca, I want to say thank you very much for all that you've shared with us, your insights and your advice. And I wanted to say with Moods magazine, every success, particularly with this mental um, health, mental serv- health services central, may not have got the word quite right, that kind of project is profoundly important because it provides people with a place to go. Mm-hmm. And talking of which, I hope that you'll put your own episode, that is this, in that place because what you've been saying is profoundly important in, in its messages for people who should hear what your story from the beginning to end in the way that you presented it to us. So thank you. I want to say also thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be the many faces of addiction recognizable to family caregivers. Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 